Well, we're in this series, Lake Life, and we realize that there are people right now at the lake, hello to you, who are at a cabin somewhere and watching online. We, uh, we're not jealous because we're thrilled to be here. God is here in our midst, and we are excited. Uh, I have to just say it is that time of year where it's really hot, right? Aren't you glad to be in air conditioning here and not outside? Uh, yesterday, we had about 70, 80 guys who, uh, in our men's ministry, went and golfed together, and uh, I missed the championship again this year, but you know what? It was fun to see um, all these different guys, so we'd love for you to be a part of men's ministry when you see those things on occasion. I do want to say that at this series, Lake Life, uh, the reason we chose this is not only because it's that kind of time of year where you go to lakes and cabins and things such as that, but because we wanted to, to look at the stories of Jesus and faith that centered around Lake Galilee and thought, well, let's, if people are going to lake, why don't we go with Jesus to the lake and kind of watch and see and understand what people experienced through Jesus in that ministry. So we're kind of in that series and we're excited uh, kind of give you an update. We talked a little bit in the service here about getting out of the boat. Started the series, which we call Lake Life, Stepping Out in Faith. is all about each and every one of us thinking what it means not only to put our faith in Jesus, but to begin to really understand what it means to express in your life the faith of Jesus, which is, a, is another step. And so... The very first one we did with Peter walking on the water. We talked about water walking faith. If you, and we gave these challenges. Here's some of the challenges in each of the messages that we've had. If you want to get, if you want to walk on water, you got to what? Get out of the boat. Right? Then we looked the next week at, um, this whole calling of, of, of Peter and Andrew and James and John. And we talked about this. If you want to live an extraordinary life, you have to say yes to Jesus. And we looked at their lives. They did so when he called immediately, but they did so throughout every day of their life so that they could experience not just what is ordinary, but to be able to see the extraordinary works of God in their life. And, and then last week we talked about this. So There's a guy with a paralyzed who was brought by four other guys on a stretcher to Jesus. Their hope was that they could get to Jesus and his life would be transformed. They can't even get to the door, so they go up on the roof, they pull out the tiles, they, they, they put them down in the stretcher, and Jesus says this, if you want to see a transformed life, you may have to carry someone to him, but not alone. We carry with other people, and so Jesus looks at this guy who's a paralytic, and he then looks in the eyes of the fours, and he says, because of your faith, and then he turns to the guy, your sins are healed. That's a pretty amazing statement. You are forgiven. Well, today we're going to be looking at a story of Levi, the tax collector, and it's an interesting story because it is actually found in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And there must be something important about that because it's, it, it's found in each of these gospels. And what I want you to think about, here's the challenge today. If you want someone to follow you, you have to be followable. Okay, try and say that four times together. Ready? Followable. Follow me. I'm not kind of a followable person. That's for people like, you know, you, pastor, or others. No. Let me put it this way. Because every one of us will have this in our lives. If you want to influence someone, you have to be what? Influential. That's another way to look at it. 
And everybody, to some degree or another, is influential. You have friends. You have family. You have people around you. And you say, well, I don't really want to influence your life. Well, I hope you do in some ways because you want the best version of that person, correct? And the best way isn't to offer all your advice. The best way is to love them and then come around them. And when those opportunities, I think, uh, avail themselves, you continue to move them forward. There are times you need to come in and step in as a parent and you challenge a child to, you want to be influential. You want to be followable. And so to do that, to be influential, to be able to be the kind of person where someone follows you, you have to have a kind of life that you live. And this one's a little different than the other stories because this story is about how you, through your faith, inspire faith in other people. And what does that look like? And as we look at this story, I want to share with you three things. I'm going to give them to you in different ways as we go through the message. But they're basically one, a followable person um, and a person who has influence understands that in the life of someone else, it's a series of steps. And a followable person is, is, um, is a kind of person who knows how you see someone makes all the difference in the world. And as you continue through this passage of scripture, you'll see that um, the kind of person who makes a difference in someone's life knows what to focus on. So let's go ahead and I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read these verses in chapter 2 of Mark, verses 13 through 17. We'll actually be looking at um, Matthew from time to time, which is Matthew 9, 9 through 13. Matthew is Levi, and it's his autobiographical account of this story. Luke also shares this story in chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Then Jesus went out to the lakeshore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. And he walked along, and he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, and this later means probably days or more later, Levi invited Jesus with his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And then his little parentheses, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Don't you love that? We get to be in part that, right? But when the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Let's pray. Spirit of God, thank you for being here. Thank you for your words that you revealed into this book we call the Bible. Form our hearts to me more like Jesus. Allow for us to be influenced by you so that we can, through you, influence others so that they might know your incredible love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
So as I, I read this story, and as I, I ask you to listen again to verses 9 through 12 of Mark 2, and I just want you to, to ask yourself, who do you know who has this kind of pull and attraction? Any, anybody you know? Who, then Jesus went out to the lake, sure, so by the lake, again, and taught the crowds that were coming up to him. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, and he sees him what at its tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said. So Levi got up and followed him. Now Luke um, stretches the boundaries of belief on this further, everything, and followed him. Early in my ministry, or earlier in my ministry, when I was about 30 years of age, 10 to 15 years ago or so, um, <laughs> never been great at math, obviously, but, um, but I remember reading and thinking, this is just too hard to believe. The guy comes up, says, follow me. Guy gets up, leaves everything, and follows him. I'm thinking to myself, that's just, that's just, really? I mean, who does that? Who meets someone, and then immediately after meeting him, gets up and it leaves everything and follows him? I'm thinking maybe in a reality TV show, right? With With the promise of stardom and all the silly things they do. But think about it this way. How many of you would give $10,000 to someone you didn't know, even if they promised you $100,000 like six months later? And, and think about it. How many, if you met someone in the afternoon, would get married to him in the evening? Now, some really romantically charged people, or if you're on Bachelor or something like that, you might do that, right? But how many accountant-type people that you know would give $10,000, let alone $10 to someone they don't know. And what you have to understand here, Levi was an accountant. And not only was Levi an accountant, he was a tax specialist. He was well-versed in tax code. And he was greedy. So how does a person make such a dramatic decision to follow? What does it look like? What does it involve? And that's what I want to take a few moments just to share with you. Because followable people are the kind of people who understand this truth. Following involves a series of steps. I don't think it was Jesus came up out of the blue, asked him. If you read these verses again, it, it, it just talks about this idea that he, that he was by the lake shore. And so as I think about it, it suggests, even though the, the passage of scripture sounds immediate and Luke makes it sound comprehensive, that he left and he, he gave everything up. If you think about it, you got to ask yourself, what would cause a person to do that? Well, let me ask you this. What would cause you or a person to give up a few moments on a Sunday morning, you know, a couple times a month, to move to a place where they say, I'm giving you everything, here's my time, you order it, Jesus. Or what kind of person moves from throwing a few bucks in the offering, which we don't take anymore, Right? You can put it in the box back there, or, or you can punch something, but it gives a few bucks, and then all of a sudden, at some point in their life, they feel committed and convicted to go, I'm going to give 10% of my income, or even 20%. That's crazy, right? What, what kind of person is it that will give a few hours a week as a volunteer and serve somewhere, 
And what is it that causes you to move to the step where you give up your life as a martyr? What happens? And what I want to propose to you is you live your life and you think about influencing people that you need to understand it's usually a process of a series of steps. When we begin to start looking at this, you're going to see that it's a journey, that you're going to understand that there's a series of encounters that begins to occur in a person's life where they begin to taste the goodness of God and they begin to taste the goodness of God and they start to say in their heart, could this be as good as it is? In fact, if this is as good as it is, I want to have more. Sometimes the whole church community comes around this idea that God is real and this God is good. And then the whole group goes, we got to have more of God. And people start saying, I want to be all in. But what does that look like? And so when I look at this story and as I began to pray and think about it, and my, it was a, a number of years ago when I read this, my wife and I were talking about it. And she was the one who said, Kevin, there's probably a backstory to this. She's really bright. So... I need to listen to her in these messages more. But there's a story behind this story, and kind of talked about it together, and as we kind of talked about it, I thought of it, maybe this is what happened. Maybe you can think in your own mind, this is a possibility. Here is Luke, or Levi. He's at his tax collector's booth. The lake is over there, and um, Levi is, is doing his work. He gets done, gets done with his day, puts all the stuff away. A couple of his buddies come up. Levi's thinking of going to the local bar, getting a couple of beers, and then going home, those buddies say to him, you know what, before you go, let's go listen to this, this Jesus guy. One of the guys goes, you got to hear him, he's just incredible. Another guy goes, not only you got to hear him, you got to see what he does. Levi kind of drags his feet, goes, listens. He's really kind of moved. He looks at this Jesus guy who has a crowd of people around him, and there's such a welcoming presence. Everyone's welcome. And not only that, these are not your perfect kind of religious people. They're moral failures like him. He's looking out there and he sees some of the local prostitutes up front and they're totally into it. He sees other sinners like himself there. He can see himself and he sees this group and he's really moved. He's impressed. Impressed and he goes home, thinks about it. And he begins starting to think about it. He goes, you know, I I think maybe I'll go hear this guy more. So he and his buddies, they go to listen to him even more. He attends one time, and after a number of times of attending, he begins to move more from the outskirts, the back of the crowd, to the, you know, closer in with some of his other buddies who are there. And at one point, Jesus is speaking, and Jesus is talking, and he looks at him, and he locks eyes on him, and Jesus smiles. Nothing more than that, and it continues on. And Levi is feeling like, man, what he was saying felt like it was for me, and then he smiled. You ever had that happen at church? You feel like, man, the pastor, the guy who's up there speaking, he's like, he's reading my mail. And, and uh, Levi is thinking, I have never in my life had a religious rabbi look me in the eyes and smile. In fact, in this city of Capernaum, where I live, the religious, really holy people who go to the synagogue church every week, when they go through the tax booth and they go through it, they don't even hardly look me in the eyes. And if they do look me in the eyes, if they have enough guts to do that, they look at me with a sense of disgust. But this guy smiled at me. And so after that kind of unnerving encounter that he has with Jesus... 
Levi's at his tax collector's booth doing his work, and there's a few people coming through, and then he sees a crowd coming. There's a large crowd. He gets closer and closer, and as he gets closer, he begins to realize that this crowd is surrounding this guy, Jesus, the rabbi. He's coming his way. And the people, you know, dismiss into some other booths, but Jesus waits patiently at his booth, comes up, walks up through the line, and he sees him, he's looking him in the eyes, he's smiling again. And he, he just says, how's, how's your day? What's your, you know, first, what's your name? He goes, I'm Levi. And he goes, and how's your day been? And he goes, good. And Levi's stammering. You know, he can hardly talk. And Jesus goes through. Later in the day, this group comes back. Jesus goes through his line again. This time he looks at him and he goes, hi, Levi. How you doing? Levi's going, well, you know, I'm doing okay. And Jesus walks by. Levi goes to another one of the messages and he's here at that message. He begins hearing Jesus speaking about this God of his father who loves him. He hears a story about this guy who's a prodigal and how the father waits for him and loves him. And, and, and Levi's feeling this is more and more like me. And yet he goes, I, you know what? I, 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 maybe God could love me, maybe. And he's starting to think, man, you know, I think I wouldn't mind maybe hitching my saddle to this guy, Jesus, but he'll never accept me, not on the basis of the choices I've made. And so he begins to process that more. And then one day, here is Jesus coming through the tax booth again. And here is Levi sitting there. He has been moved step by step by step by the kindness and goodness and the love of Jesus who looks at him and loves him. And he hears this message. Jesus walks through the booth. He looks at him. He says, Levi... And I goes, yeah? He goes, you know what? From now on, I want to call you Matthew. Oh, okay. And he goes, you know what, Matthew? Would you follow me? Matthew goes, man, I will definitely, I would ever close the shop up and follows Jesus. That's how people's lives are changed. Because in you, they see something. They feel something. They experience something. They see in you the eyes of Jesus. They feel the hands of Jesus in his love and his hugging embrace. This is how people begin to change in their lives. Jesus, think about it, the most followable person in the world understood and still understands what we need to understand is that people move closer and closer to God step by step. And it takes patience, it takes perseverance, it takes kindness beyond what you'd believe. It will take at times for you to, sh- to have to turn your back on the, on the, on the uh, people who look down on you for the way that you love someone who is supposedly not a part of the tribe. And I just sense what happens in that. You know, at a point, Jesus, he, he calls for a commitment. And there are somebody. I just sense there's someone or a few people here who are listening where Jesus is calling for commitment because you have tasted, you've experienced, you know his goodness. He has been drawing you. You've heard messages over the last few months. You've had experiences where you've maybe um, talked to someone or someone has been influencing your life. And today, right this very minute, Jesus might say, Follow me with everything. It is time for you to 
to, to begin to, not that you give up your life, but you begin to reprioritize your life. You begin to repurpose yourself according to the call of God because you start saying, God, what do you have for me? What is it that you want to do through me? How do I live this extraordinary life? In ordinary times, I begin to see you come in ways that I had not experienced before. This is another important uh, thing that people who influence people or fallible people understand is that no matter who the person is, transformation is possible. Catch that. There is the ability for any person to be transformed. Don't count anyone out. I believe this is in three Gospels for one purpose, and that is that even the disciples couldn't believe that a guy like Levi could make the group. Not that guy. If you look at it, it says, as he walked along, Jesus saw Levi. That's a, that's a really, mark that saw down. Because I want you to note in contrast how the religious leaders sum up what they saw. The, right now when you read this, this is Mark summing up how they looked at him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with, here's the people, many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind who were among Jesus' crowd. But when the teachers of the religious law and those who were Pharisees saw that Jesus was socializing and having fun with and eating and, and, and being with these disreputable people, they had to ask, not Jesus, they go to his disciples who, you know, are always not as ready to answer because they don't fully get it themselves. And they go, let me ask you for a second, why in the world does your rabbi, this holy guy, eat with a bunch of scum? A little background around this. You need to understand uh, the city of Capernaum. It's a lake town, as we had mentioned, and it actually is um, a, a, along a popular trade route in Israel. If you look at the map of Israel, there would like the Silk Road, where all the goods exchange would eventually come down on a certain road. And that road, if you wanted to go to all the south, Egypt, down to Egypt and another powerful nation, you all has had to go through Israel. And one of the key points you had to go through was Capernaum. Capernaum was a city that Rome loved, that Herod Antipas loved, because it was the wealthy city. Because through there, people would have to pay their customs when they'd bring goods and whatever they're bringing through, they'd have to pay it through there. It was the place to be if you wanted to make money. If you got that job as a tax collector there, you were going to be living well. And so here you have this, um, this look of, 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 this, of what I would call this position that he had in this town where it's just, it, this is like a cash cow for Herod and for Rome. And those who collected the taxes were usually recruited from among the people that lived there. And that would mean they would have to be in collaboration with the opposing powers or the traitors. That would mean that they would be daily in contact with unclean pagans, so that would put them out of the church and synagogue. And usually it meant they were dishonest and and full of greed. And they were the kind of people, if you wanted to sum it up, they had given up on God because in their own mind, they were convinced that God had given up on them. Everything they saw by the religious people made it really clear that God didn't like them. But here's what I want you to 
to really notice how Jesus looked at Levi and what a difference you're seeing someone can make. What's the difference between what Jesus saw and the religious leaders saw? Think about it for a second. They both saw Levi. They both saw this tax collector. They both saw a guy who was really wealthy. They both saw a guy who was dishonest and a cheater and greedy. They both saw a very irreligious sinner. But Jesus saw so much more. Jesus saw what Levi could be. One group looked at him with judgment and scorn and anger and saw a person who was hopeless. And Jesus looked at him with love and compassion and kindness and showed him mercy because he saw in him something of great hope. He saw that transformation was possible even in the person who looked to be the most impossible, even the one the disciples didn't think could make it into the group. People who inspire faith see people differently. They see beyond the surface. They see past the symptoms of sin. They see what God sees and that is transformation is possible. Now I want you to turn for a moment to to Matthew's autobiographical account. Because in Matthew's gospel, which could have easily been the gospel of Levi, that was his name, right? But no way, according to Matthew. This is Matthew writing it. The reason it would never be the gospel of Levi, because Matthew always refers to himself by the way that Jesus sees him and calls him. Now once in Matthew's gospel, did he call himself Levi? You wouldn't know it. Except for this story shows up in both Luke and Mark. And in Luke and Mark, he's always called Levi. It's kind of an interesting thing. In Gospel of Matthew, he writes simply this. Jesus saw a man named Matthew. That's what, Matthew, that's what Levi writes. He's Matthew now. And it's really subtle, but it's so important because it speaks to how powerful this truth is. That Jesus saw who Levi could be and he even gave him a name that encapsulated the truth of the potential of what Jesus, he himself, saw. And so Matthew, from that point on, began to say, I will not see myself anything different than the way Jesus sees me. It was an identity changer for him by the way that Jesus saw him. I'm reminded of author and and, um, pastor Bill Johnson who says, I can't afford to think a thought about myself that God doesn't think. Yeah, that's a great one to memorize. Because it's so easy to beat ourselves up. It's so easy to let Satan begin to say, you're just a rotten person, rather than going, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a person loved by God and I do things, of, I sin, and God is in the process of removing that from my heart and life. Matthew, um, here's what's so interesting, and, and one of the reasons the name Matthew is so important. Reason, one of the reasons why Levi calls himself Matthew is because of what the name Matthew means. Matthew is derived from the Hebrew word Madaniah, and you can find that name in 1 Chronicles 9.15, and it actually means simply this, gift of God. So he goes, Levi, how you doing? I, you know, how's your day? You know what? I'm going to call you Matthew from now on. And Matthew knows what he's saying. He's, I'm calling you a gift of God. He's going to be a gift of God? Are you kidding me? I just steal people's gifts. 
One of the things you'll find out, the name that God calls you by is often the one that Satan or other people are trying to call you the opposite of. If you're a person who unites people around the spirit of God, then you're going to hear all the time you're a divider. If you're a person who is calling people to a place of living um, higher before God, they're going to be the kind of person who's always putting people down. Yeah, you know, he'll just give you the opposite name. Stan Gundry in his book, The Use of the Old Testament, writes that Matthew... His work as a tax collector assured his fluency in Aramaic and Greek. So he had to know those languages. You just couldn't be a tax collector. He needed to know both Aramaic and Greek. And, and that his accuracy in keeping records fitted him for note-taking and later writing this gospel. Jesus saw him as a gift of God with the mind of an accountant. If you read Matthew, he's not necessarily concerned with eyewitness details. He's really concerned about recording large sections of Jesus' teaching. He just loved to kind of write it all down. There's five of them in all in Matthew. In fact, if you, if we didn't have Matthew writing things down, we would not have the Sermon on the Mount. Can you imagine that? If you didn't have Matthew, you would have a whole bunch of parables that Jesus told that would not be in any other book, Luke, Mark, or John. There's these five long teaching sections because Jesus looked at Levi and said, you're going to be Matthew because you're a gift of God. And I'm going to do something in your life. And as you follow me, you're going to do something in people's lives. And people forever are going to be touched by what you wrote. Now, here's the key thing I want you to hear in this. How you see a person can make transformation possible. But I don't want you to stop there. I actually, when I was writing the message, I stopped there, and then all of a sudden it hit me. And God gave me this thought. How you see a person can make transformation possible in you and them. The first really incredible thing that takes place in transformation is what happens in you. Think about it. This sees people. You know what's going to happen next? You're actually going to begin to treat people like Jesus treats people. And that changes you, but it changes them. It has the potential to change them. They always have to make their choice, but it has the potential to change them. And here's what I want you to understand. Why and how you see someone is so vitally important because what Jesus wants to do is not... He's so remarkable. God is so remarkable. He's always saying, I can do two things at once. I don't want to just trans... It's not about you transforming people. I do that. I want to transform you. And when you're transformed, you will transform people. I will through you do that. And I think that's such a powerful thing. You see, if you see someone as scum, you'll treat it like dirt. I had an old car with a lot of dents in it one time. It didn't matter to me if it got another dent. If you see something as precious, you're going to treat it as what? You treat it precious. I remember how this was in my life at one point. I didn't understand the principle fully then, but I remember God using this in my life when my daughter was about four or five years of when she was about 14 or 15 years of age. And it was in those years where the, it was really getting tough. And I just kept thinking, she's so rebellious. I couldn't control her, which was a lot of my own stuff. And, and I remember I was just struggling with it. I was journaling about it. And I went away on a trip. I'm sitting on this trip. I'm doing my time where I'm just alone with the Lord. Man, folks, I tell you, if you don't take time to be alone with the Lord, you won't be transformed. I, you just got to hear that. And it's a series of steps. It's a soul process. So other people who are around people who are being transformed recognize you're going to go, I wish it was faster. 
We all do. My wife especially. <laughs> you don't need to shake your head. <laughs> oh, anyway, where was it? Oh, so I'm praying for my daughter, and I'm trying to process it. I'm praying, and I hear this thought in my head, and it said, "Think, just look at her when she was like four or five years of age. Uh, okay, that's kind of weird. And the idea was that I was supposed to get that picture out, and I was put that, when I prayed, I just had that picture there, and I would... I'd keep that picture there. I just started doing something to my heart. It started moving me away from trying to control, to, in some cases, trying to listen and understand. It didn't make things perfect. You know what, you guys? It's a series of steps. And if you want to truly influence someone, because God wants to, he wants to use you, he wants to look through your eyes so that people can see him how you see them is so vitally important. It will change you. Okay. We're going to finish this all up in three minutes, right? I just, I got to share with you this though. It says that he left everything and just so people understand the everything, later he has his house and he has a party there, right? Here's what you have to understand. By everything, I don't think it means that you just give everything to, you know, like, I'm going to give it all away to the poor. I think what it means is that you are, your life is repurposed. So now Matthew goes, I got a house. I could use this to throw a party. And Jesus kind of goes, you know, you know, I'd like to use your BMW. You know, we should have had him, let's say, you know, for a day. And, and Matthew's going to go, yeah, for sure. I just ask you to think about that. If you, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, and, and as, as we go through things throughout this coming year, or you're in places where, where God might be speaking, if he says he, has, he wants something, or he wants you to do something, or he wants you to take some time, or he wants you to serve here, the follower of Jesus, as we learned earlier, says yes, because it's not mine. Okay? Okay, the last thing that I want to share with you it's just this, what matters is the heart. You just look at this, and I, I'll just freeform this for a second. Okay. Gee, these guys are all looking at their religious activity, and their eyes are on themselves. I want to tell you, when your eyes are on yourself, you're going to look at your religious activity, and you're going to compare people who aren't as good, and then you're going to go, God, aren't I great? And God's going, no, you aren't. It just leads to pride. It leads to attitudes towards people. It doesn't transform your heart. But if you are the kind of person who is looking at the heart, you don't see the Levi and all his bad stuff. You see his heart and you see what God can do to that heart because you look at your heart and you go, I'm a Levi as well. And I needed a Levi to look into my life. I needed Jesus to look into my life as a Levi. So I just want to share. So when he says this whole thing about, you know, the sinners, um, the, 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 I'm a doctor. I come for not those who are righteous, but those who know they're sinners. The whole purpose of this is saying, I live by a different standard. I focus on something far different than we all focus on. He's not looking at our religious activities, not listening to our holy words. He loves the fact we praise him. But what he wants more than anything is your heart. And when he looks at people, he looks at their heart. And that's so important, folks. So, I will close with an illustration. Um, and I want you to think about this. Is there a Levi in your world? Is there a Levi in your world? That God wants you to start 
walking with them through a series of steps and God wants you to be in a position where you see them and you look at them and you begin to transform yourself so transformation can be possible in them and you take your eyes off their activities and all the things you're doing and you begin to start saying, I'm going to focus on their heart and pray for their heart. Um, from time to time, Grace and I see a marital counselor. We do checkups and, and usually there are times when we get stuck in our marriage and, uh, I'm usually the one who doesn't notice that we're stuck. Guys, that's supposed to be funny because it's really true for all of you as well. Um, my strengths are, according to Strength Finder, strategic, competitive, activator, and achiever, and futuristic, which basically means I want to figure out how fast I can make the future I see happen is, is faster than anyone else. That's, let me just tell you, that's not a great thing to have when it comes to marriages or relational strengths or things such as that. But that's the way God's wired me and that's what God has been doing in me. My wife, on the other hand, she grew up in a family system where you served others and asking for help yourself felt selfish. Anybody relate to that? So here we're in this counseling session and the counselor gives us some really, for me, profound counsel. He says, Kevin, you need to look Grace in the eye and ask on a daily basis, what do you need from me today, this moment, right now? You need to slow it down. What's your next step and how can I help you take that? So I just want to ask you the same question. What does the person God has placed before you need today, right now? What step are they at? In this moment. And when you look at this person in your mind's eye, ask the Holy Spirit, how am I to show up? What do they need? And start trying to make that a practice. There will be some of you might do this. But this is how Jesus lived. He lived in the present so that when Jesus came to a tax collector's booth, to a Levi, he didn't walk by him. He noticed him, he took him in, took him and looked him in the eye, and he listened, and he loved him, and he showed him mercy and kindness. And that influences people.